What an honor it is to be here in such a riveting company. What an, it's a historic moment for me. You don't understand. The moment I met this man and woman, as I turned to go, God says, you will be with them. Little did you know, we met in Wales. And I said to myself, well, they wouldn't even remember that they met me. But isn't it amazing what God is in God's counsel to do? I like how the scripture says, when he stretches forth his hand to do a thing, Nobody can annul it. Come on, say to your neighbor, when he stretches forth his hand to do a thing concerning you, nobody can stop it. So this little girl from Africa is pleased to be in the company of her brothers and sisters. And I will go on. But I, I so want to not just thank you for being here, but thank you for coming to our nation and making such an incredible investment. I feel like you carry an anointing that is a leverage Right now, as I see, you know when you wanna, you'll have a flat tire and we put the jack up and it leverages up the car, car and it positions it for a new tire to come. I see that upon you. I see that upon the ministry right now, a leveraging thing. I see where people are going to come here and they're going to drink of the fountains of God. They're just going to refuel and go. They're going to say, we have some flat tires. Can we come fix it in this place? And you know, you, it's not just when we speak like this, it's not just about your pastors. It's about us. What is on the head comes down. It's about us as a collective. It's about the anointing and the grace that the house carries. I believe it's amazing that it was said here, tipping point, because that was the word that was on my heart the first day that I stepped in here. And I said it even to my companion who was with me today. She said, as you pray for Singapore, what you see, I said, Singapore itself is on a tipping point. Amen. It's really on a, it's about to, something is about to explode. Something is about to be released. And I feel like Cornerstone is an activating ministry, but it's also, the word I heard from the Lord was mobilizing. I see an army come together, mobilizing. But I feel like at this moment, God is just sweeping away weaknesses. He's, you know, when you're ready to plant a, a new garden, the last thing you do when you've taken out the weeds and you've taken out the everything is to rake out the stones. Somebody say, she, God's raking out the stones. He's about to rake out stones because we're getting ready. This is exciting. This is the moment where you don't take your eyes off God because you don't know which way he's going to go. And you have never been this way before. When we ask for revival, I'm not asking for Azusa Street. I'm not asking for Toronto Blessing. I'm asking for that which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, that which has never entered. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I'm going to have to do some work with you. Listen, your passion and your excitement determines how far you go. But I was still thanking him, wasn't I? It's all your fault. I was still wanting to thank this great man of God uh, uh, for just that which you have allowed God to use you for. I will speak a little bit more, um, but thank you for the connection. And as you gather and as you mobilize, that which you saw begin, at the beginning will happen. It won't be a rain, it will be a torrent. I see it. I am just so excited. It's my third trip to Singapore this year. You know that's not by chance. I have an assignment to this nation. So I decided to do a bit of neology, get a degree concerning you, and bring Singapore on the altar of God. Thank God for the leaders and the people that make this place this place. We will talk some more tomorrow. I just want to go into what I wanted to speak about. But before I do, um, as I watched you worship, I'm like, do you? The Bible says, praise him with your understanding. The scripture says, if you see a man who lacks understanding, he will dwell in the assembly of the dead. When you lack understanding of something, you don't die, you become unfruitful. Do you know when you gather and we praise like this, sound has power. Have you ever watched a film, sir? 
where the film is, is going on and you just rush to the kitchen to get some popcorn. You couldn't see the vision or the, the, the action, but you know what's happening by the sound. You hear, you know something bad's gonna go down, right? Is that true? Yeah? And then what happens, you hear, you're like, oh, nothing bad, it's all good, it's all good. Because no film is complete without an illustrative sound to capture it. Did you realize that when you sing and you praise God, you have four audiences? Mama, yourself. You, there are some songs I sing. Yahweh, my chest is out. Bring it on. Because what I'm singing, I'm hearing. And it's having something to do. Deliverance where we are waiting for somebody to lay hands on you. When we are filled this place 10 times, who has time in a 30-minute service to be doing that? Where you're standing, you worship and you bring deliverance to, your, to yourself. You, you got to, this is what grown-ups do. They don't wait for somebody to feed them. They catch God and they take it by force. force. The kingdom of God suffered violence. So as you stood up and you say, when I said majesty, I saw the king enthroned on his, I'm like, yeah, the king is in this place. What else can contend against us? That's how you come to worship. You understand that you're doing good to yourself. The second person that hears you is your neighbor. The Bible says that, come glorify, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. The humble will hear thereof and they will be. In other words, as I exalt, deliverance is taking place for my neighbor. You've always wanted to be powerful. God put power in your mouth. Somebody, now next time you come and somebody's standing there, majesty, poke him and said, release my deliverance, release my deliverance, release my, I, you don't understand. I am visualizing a day when an usher is saying, welcome to Cornerstone, and somebody just begins to manifest because something is loosed off of them, you understand. Let me, ah, the third thing, we will go on tomorrow, but I wanted to share one thing before I go on, on today, because I have never seen, a, every time a revival starts, the first thing that changes is the sound. Think about it, the sound of the people change because there's an abandonment, because we see God differently. When John was with Jesus, and the Bible says he, he described him as the one who put his head on Jesus' uh, 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 bosom, and I bet he picked up meat and chicken and stuff from Jesus' plate. There was a casualness. Sir, can I borrow you, sir, humbly? Yeah, there's a buddy-buddy. Maybe when he saw Jesus, he said, what going on, man? What's up, man? You know, this is his buddy. This is his chum. But when he saw him in all his glory in Revelation, he fell down as dead. This is not time to be treating Jesus, what's up, man? This is time to be seeing him. When you see him in his glory, there's an awe, there's a bowing down, there's a yielding, there's a surrender. I pray the spirit of revelation fall upon us. As we worship in our closets, as we worship in the bathroom, as we worship in the kitchen, as we worship as a congregation, let the spirit of revelation be upon us that we see. You can imagine. And whatever you see, you become. We are beholding with unveiled face. <laughs> ah, being glorified. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't have time even to tell you about the glory of God right now. When the glory of God comes, it's not a feeling. It's a manifestation and a sum total of everything that God is. Can I borrow you again, sir? Come on. You know, every time I go somewhere, I'm looking. Who's going to be my victim? What's your name, sir? Kelvin. 
Kelvin, if I step on Brother Kelvin's leg, he's gonna feel all of my glory. The sum total of my hair, of my kidneys, of my anointing, of my jewelry, of my clothing. Every bit of me is going to be felt and he's gonna be, but right now he's just pretending I'm just eight stone, right? <laughs> Not 16, don't you dare, you know? <laughs> you know, he's gonna feel everything. Do you really think when the glory comes down, we're gonna have one hand in our pocket because you're feeling the manifestation of everything that God is, his power, his wisdom, his grace, his love, his everything. Anybody hungry for the glory? I came to tell you a secret. The secret to exacting what God has is your hunger. Not your prayer, your hunger. Because your hunger determines how you eat. <laughs> he says, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, I will fit. Not if you know enough scripture. Not if you pray enough, because hunger is a prerequisite to what you can access and what you can handle. God's looking upon hunger. So right now, lift up your hands and say, Lord, fill me with hunger. Make me hungry. Make me hungry. Make me hungry for the things of God. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your grace. Kill me with the capacity never to be satisfied with too little too soon. I've seen you, but I want more. I want more. There's more in you, God. I want more, Father. I want more. Because you become what you see. There is something steady, strong about the people who have seen, tasted, handled God. What are you going to do about those people right now? Last thing I want to say to you is that you've got to learn to create a climate. When I first, I'm from Ghana, as Papa said, and when I went to Ghana, uh, UK, they talked about exotic fruit. I had never heard about exotic fruit. So I told them, take me to the shops. I want to see exotic fruit. The first exotic fruit they showed me was pineapple. I was really upset because where I come from, it is so cheap. It is poor man's food. They slice it up. They put it in a little plastic bag and everybody who can, cannot afford food buys What? I looked at the pineapple, still trying to find exotic. I'm like, all right, show me another one. They showed me mango. This was an insult because I went to boarding school. When you were hungry, you ate mango. Now, now, when, when I'm serious, am I preaching or not? Are we good? I know I'm open my Bible. I am for all these religious people, you know. And so, and so, um, when you when you when you shook that, we didn't even um, pick mango from the ground. My friend, I won't mention her name in case she's listening somewhere. We used to call her Bend Down because she used to just pick the mangoes from the ground because she. The mangoes where you tap the tree like this, 15 fell down. I, what is so exotic and rare? This thing is expensive. Are you kidding me? And then they showed me a coconut. That was the end. <laughs> now you in Singapore, tell me what is, what is rare and expensive and, and exotic about any of the fruit. Durian. I've mentioned, now you mentioned durian, we're talking. Never mind the smell, but you know. But none of the above. And so the Holy Spirit just whispered to me. He said, the reason it's exotic, it's rare, it's of value is this. It doesn't grow in the UK. He said, in the same way, you can't grow cherries where you come from. You can't grow kiwi where you come from. You can't grow passion fruit where you come from. Why? The rule of thumb is this. The climate determines what grows in it. The soil might be pure. The seed powerful, but when the climate is wrong, it won't grow. That's why when you want to grow something that is not common or original or authentic to you, you create what is called a climate control. 
You intentionally create an atmosphere. A climate is a sustained and a congealed atmosphere. When it's an atmosphere is sustained for a long time, it becomes a climate. And climates govern what grows. You sing revival. You gotta live it. You gotta speak it. You gotta declare it. You gotta live like declare, uh, revival has come, so that a climate of revival is put in place over our nation and over our church. And remember, climate always determines what grows over it. We are not as powerless as we think. Sometimes we pray like God is reluctant to do. I came to tell you tonight that God is not reluctant to do any of the things we're praying about. He put the prayer in your belly and in your mouth and the song in your mouth. What you need to do is believe it and sustain that atmosphere. Private practice determines public performance. You can't do majesty here and go home and don't do majesty in the kitchen and don't do majesty in the bathroom. You can't sit in the car and not do... I'm talking to a revived people. I'm talking to to a people who have caught something in this place. I'm not talking about the people who came and they said, that, oh, the Holy Ghost was in the service. No, he came into the service so I could take him out there. So, I, this evening, for the last, next 12 minutes that I have left, I want to talk to you about your identity. And I'm talking to you already about it. Are you still with me? Somebody understanding what I have to say? Okay, and whoever is messing with the time, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. I want to unpack some truths because, listen, we find in the book of Judges chapter 6, I'm going to paraphrase and run because I need you to get some truths out before I leave this place. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, Judges 6, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Then verse 11, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebrine tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, which his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Interesting. The first thing God says to a man who is fearful, who is weak, who has a low self-esteem is God introduces the man to himself. Do you realize every time that God meets you with a man, he does two things. Ah, brother Kelvin, it's your season today. You know, he meets him and the first thing God says is this, I am God. I'm the father of Abraham. He's telling you who he is. He's establishing covenant. He's saying, go check up on my references. Ask Abraham if I didn't do what I said I would do. Ask J uh, Jacob if I didn't do. Ask Isaac if I didn't do. And the second thing he always done is introduce you to you because you don't see you properly. You're a mighty man of valor. Amen. Now God is saying this thing to a man who is weak. The man said, God, if all the things they said to us is true, where is it? Look at our nation. And right now you're looking at your world, your family, your crisis, your life. It, it, it's, feel like it's full of battle. Some days you're up, some days you're down. We all, if you're like me, you don't always feel strong. You don't always feel powerful. You, don't, you can't always identify with the things that God has said. Yet God doesn't respond to what Gideon is saying. God repeats again. Rise and arise and take the nation, you mighty man of valor. Because your identity is so important to God. Nobody. We want to take a nation. We can't take a nation. We want to bring the kingdom down. You can't do that kingdom thing without who you are. Even Jesus Christ couldn't do any ministry until he passed the identity test. He's in Matthew chapter 3 and the Bible says that he's baptized by John. And one thing, one thing only of all the things the father could have said. He could have said, I'm going to give you kingdom and tribe. I'm going to give you Africa. I'm going to give you Asia. I'm going to see thousands of gen He didn't say any of that. He says, son, if you ever forget anything in life. Remember this, you're my son. Amen. One thing, one thing. He steps out of that place. He goes into the wilderness. He meets the devil. 
And devil says, tell me, I know you're hungry because you've been fasting. The trial is not about the food, mm -hmm. never about the hunger. Right. He says, if you're a son, mm. do this. The testing is always about identity. And Jesus says, I know I'm a son. Because as a son, I don't listen to my stomach nor my physical needs. I am only triggered by that which my father says. Amen. Devil says, if you're a son, do this. If you're a son, three times he says it. And all of the time, it's about sonship. You know, today our world is full of identity crisis. Nothing is new under the sun. He already started from the beginning. The remarkable reason I'm telling you this is that Jesus passes the identity test. And the first thing he walks out is, he begins to preach the gospel of the kingdom and gather disciples. God says, I can't trust you until you have passed your identity test. God says, I can't trust you. You've said it, I'm a child of God, but have you passed the identity test? Have you passed the identity test? Do you know who you are? I'm gonna go back to Gideon. Gideon himself. When the angel said that to him, he still couldn't. How is God going to use this man with so much potential power, but he still doesn't know who he is? Because Gideon is like the rest of us. We judge who we are in the moment by what we're going through. He says, I'm, I'm going through this. Have you seen me? If I was a powerful man of valor, would I be threshing wheat in a wine press? I clearly, clearly, I'm hiding. And God never speaks to what you're going through. He always speaks to what he made you. Are you is somebody hearing me right now? He tests God. Out of all the miracles, nothing changes his mind. You know when Gideon actually turns? is when he goes to the Philistine land and he hears them gossiping about him. One person has a dream of a huge loaf crushing something. And the other person, it's amazing how God can even give your enemies uh, the gift of interpretation of dreams. <laughs> Seriously, you don't think God uses uh, unbelievers prophetically? He does. Go ask Pharaoh. And, and, and he says, no, I know who that guy is. That guy is Gideon. And Gideon hears it. Suddenly, he realizes he sees who he is. And a shout goes out from him, the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. Ah, somebody ought to pray. So God, enough times I say, God, show me me. 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 Because unless I see who I am in God, I'm never going to be able to. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's hanging between two thieves and he looks at one in the midst of his shame and reproach where people are spitting on him and saying, if you're truly the king, do this. He never lets his crisis moment, his trials, his tribulations identify and mess with who he is. He says to the thief, I am still a king. I may look naked. I may be bloodied up. They may be mocking me. They did what they want to do with me. My identity still remains the same. I am Adonai, owner and controller of all things. I am king of kings. Tomorrow I, have, I will be with you. You will be with me in paradise. In other words, Jesus exemplifies who you are has nothing to do with your achievements. Who you are has nothing to do with your crisis. In the midst of your crisis, you still maintain. If you're going to change your world, 
because he never told you that tribulation won't come. But in the midst of tribulation, you still got to remember who you are. You still got to remember who you are. I have still got capacity to take you somewhere. You still have capacity to take people somewhere. Am I still making sense to you? You know why the identity crisis is so key? From the beginning, it was so. Capa design determines performance. Before God could give man a job, he gave him his identity. Ah, let us make man. He could have made man powerful, superb. He says, but I want man to be like me in my own image and in my own likeness so that he could look after the earth as though I was looking after the earth myself. That's why your identity is not up to you. It's not up for debate. Am I making sense to somebody? Your identity is never up for debate. If you're going to redeem, if you're going to do kingdom stuff, if you're going to transform our cities and our nations for God, if we're going to serve the earth, the earth is not looking for just another human being to come. The manifestation of sons. We've got to go as a church from being saints to sons, Pastor Young. Saints want a blessing. Sons understand there's a kingdom to advance. I'm going to, back to go back to your identity. Devil comes to uh, Eve from the beginning. It was an identity crisis that let us down. If you eat this, you'll be like God. Yo, I'm already like God. But the woman wasn't sure what she was. As you sit here, are you sure what you are? You are not a servant of God. You're looking at me funny. You're only a servant when it comes to functioning in the family business. Ruth is not a servant of Pastor Young. She functions as a servant Monday to Friday. But who she is, is she's a son. Stop thinking of yourself as a servant first. You're a son. You see, sons inherit from their father. Sons inherit what the inheritance of wealth, of capacity from their father. But another thing that sons inherit is the burdens of their father. Yeah. It's the burdens of their father. If you start thinking of a servant first, servants, Jesus says, are hirelings. When things don't work out, they look for another job. Sons know this belongs to me. Yeah. I am jealous. Naboth says, God forbid, and I believe that God in these reviving times, God is going to put a spirit inside of us that says, that contends for that which belongs to God. That says, God forbid that I should let you have the inheritance of my fathers. It's a sonship spirit. It's not a hireling spirit that says, another generation will come and do it. It's not another spirit that says, God will do it when he's ready. It's one that says, this belongs to me and I'm gonna stand my ground until it has been restored back under God and his dominion. Sons carry the burden of their father. I'm gonna tell you the story of, of, of some sons. Uh, by the way, before that, why is the devil so obsessed with identity? I, because identity gives you access to things you wouldn't normally have. When somebody steals your credit card, Pastor Kelvin, how much have you got over there? 100,000, right? When they steal the credit card, they don't want to be Kelvin. They want the 100,000 that Kelvin has access to. Are you going to sit down and let somebody have your identity? The moment he took it from Eve, he had access to the things that Eve should have. 
When somebody steals your passport, now you know, if my passport was next to yours, I have a Ghanaian passport. Yours is a Singaporean passport. You know which one it's going to go to. I have to go for every country. I have to queue up for a visa. You don't have to queue up for no visa. He wants access to the places you could go. That's why your identity should be something you protect more than anything else. I just hope I'm making sense to someone. Your identity allows you to operate like God upon the earth. There's a, this is a true story. A set of twins were born to a couple who gave them up for adoption in 1940. Two separate families went and, and they adopted these two boys. And when they did, one family looked at the boy and says, huh, I think he looks like a James. We'll call him James. This other family also looked at their boy. They never met, they never coll- conferred or collaborated on anything. They looked at the boy and said, this one looks like a James. We'll call him James. So he's called Jim, he's called Jim. Both James had, were given dogs. The first James named his dog Toy. The second James named his dog Toy. These boys had never met in their life. They were told as they were growing up, the other half of a twin, but never met, never conferred. Both named their dogs Toy. Both grew up, studied, and went into law enforcement. Same thing. Same career. Both married women called Linda. (laughs) By the way, this is a true story. They lived in Ohio. You can look it up. Both married women called Linda. Both divorced Linda. Remember, they have never met in their lives. Both of them divorced their wives. Both remarried women called Mary. First James married Mary. Second James married Mary. Never met, never conferred. Just twins, said the shame father. Both of them had kids. The first James decided, I'm going to name my boy. Both of them had boys. James Allen, A-L-L-E-N. You're getting the story now. The second one named his son James Allen, A-L-A-N. 37 years later, they met. For the first time, they compared notes. They both drove the same car. They both smoked the same kind of cigar, fat cigars. For 37 years of their life, they had both been going to the same holiday spot. What is it that makes them want the same things? What is this thing that makes a commonality come? They carry the DNA of their father. Today, let me ask you, whose DNA do you carry? Because when we say, I am a child of God, I'm carrying my father's DNA. I love the things he loves. I hate the things he hates. That's why in his word he says this. He says, you know, are you still with me? In his word, remember when he says, uh, in the last days people will come and say, we healed in your name. We delivered in your name. We did this in your name. He says, go away, I don't know you. Who are you? I have no idea who you are. And we will say, but we did all the things. He says, because I was sick in prison, you didn't visit me. I was sick in hospital, you didn't come see me. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. You know what Jesus was saying? He didn't deny the miracles. What he said this, you saw brokenness, you saw need. You didn't act like me because this is how I would have responded to society if I had seen it. Now, because you didn't respond to it, I can't recognize myself in you. Think about it. 
We live first of all, not out of the blessing of God, but out of our identity in Christ. As I wind down today, I'm just building a case. I hope you come tomorrow morning because tomorrow we're gonna talk about your actual purpose. We're gonna build on this and talk about your actual purpose. But there is no purpose without identity. Purpose is your reason for your existence, but you don't do the work of God. You don't sing, you don't serve without a sense of identity. And so I'm gonna ask my brother, where, where is my stuff? Okay. Brother Kelvin. Your identity determines performance. Your identity determines your capacity. Your identity, you know, even when we shout, we talked about the sound that we make. That sound is powerful because of who we are. The sound is powerful because of the transformed beings that we are. And God wanted man to act as him upon the earth. Let me, let me percolate this a little bit. We're not just saints that are blessed with a little spirit. We don't have a dose of the ghosts. There is a fullness of him. Yeah. Kevin, are you wet? Nope. Are you sure? Yep. Are you wet? Yes, I am. Are you wet? Yep. Are you wet? Nope. Are you wet? Nope. Are you wet? Yep. This thing here has capacity to do something that this thing cannot do. For this thing to be able to do what this can do, it needs to be baptized. The word baptism means to immerse. Jesus didn't create that word. The apostles did. It was a word already. You see, the law of baptism says this. Anything that is baptized takes on the capacity and the nature of the substance into which it was baptized. Can I repeat that? Anything that is baptized takes on the nature and the substance and the capacity of the substance into which it was baptized. So this can do this, but this cannot do it. For this to be able to be equal to this and do it, I'm gonna baptize it. Wow. <laughs> now you know who your friends are, right? <laughs> Brother Kevin, are you wet? Yes. Are you wet? Yep. What this could not do before, yeah. it can now do. Yeah because he's been baptized. How many of you are baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do you know why? I just heard pastor speak in tongues. Do you know why when you are baptized, we see evidence? Immediately I asked, he had evidence. Did you teach yourself, sir? You're sure you didn't say, see my tie, tie, my tie, Mercedes, Hyundai? <laughs> he didn't do any of that. He had an experience, there was a baptism. He took on the capacity of God. He took on the nature of God. He can now speak with the tongues of angels and the tongues of men, something he didn't study. He can now lay hands on the sick. They are recovering, not just because he did shalababakora, but he carries something within him. He carries a presence. He carries a power. He carries the very capacity of God. So when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's because you took on the nature and the substance so that you could perform as God upon the earth. But I want to challenge you with something. Who told you to stop there? 
Who told you the same verse that talks about our capacity to speak tongues? Talks about interpretation of tongues. When I was younger and we were, we went to service, we used to, when somebody would say, and somebody would be from the back and say, my children, and somebody would interpret. We'd be in our little cell groups and somebody would speak in tongues and somebody would interpret. Say, when was the last time you interpreted tongues? Talk to me. When was the last time you interpreted tongues, but the same verse said it? When was the last time you discerned spirits? When was the last time there was a working of miracles? How many of you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit again? Oh, with fewer hands now. <laughs> I'm going to go on a journey with you. Please come tomorrow. I believe that God is gearing up a people. But it starts with knowing who you are. It starts because the devil, if he can just say to you, I'm just, my time is minus two now, and I'm going to finish now. No, seriously, I want you to, I, I just came to deposit something, a little bit of something inside of you. Because when you realize who you are, there is an audacity that comes in your prayer. There is no maybe, there is no perhaps. When he says you will say to this mountain, he wasn't talking to the people who know how to pray. It is the people who know their God. Who know because when you see God, you see you. When you see God, you see you. When you see God, you see no. You see the people who know their God that shall do exploits. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to do exploits. I don't know about you, but I take a map right now and I speak to nations. And I'm saying, lift up your head, all ye gates, and be ye lifted up. Let the King of Glory come in. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord strong as mighty. His name is Jesus and he's riding on his donkey called Celia. And we're, I pray seriously that way. I look at nations, sir, and I ask them to open up. There are nations I've gone to and I said, God, I want access to this government minister. I want access to this presidential office. Uh, it's not because this girl knows how to pray, but I understand there is God who is mighty inside of me. And when I decree a thing, it is established. But if you don't know, he's always going to remind you, you are hanging between two thieves. Oh yes, my dear, I am hanging between two thieves. I am being mocked, but I never cease to be Lord. I never cease to be King. May the same mindset that Jesus had be upon you. Somebody open Matthew 11, 11 for me. It's going to be my last scripture. And then we're going to pray for two minutes. Matthew 11, chapter 11. I hope you're grasping something. I came that you might be bold. I came that you might find yourself again. Ha, in Matthew 11, Jesus says, assuredly I say to you, he's talking about the kingdom, and he says, assuredly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. There is a difference. John the Baptist, by the way, is one of those prophets that I just can't get. He's a lone prophet. John is in the backside of the desert. He's wearing leather jacket and he's not Calvin Klein. You know, it's not polished, he's living a rough life. By the way, every one of our callings are so unique. Stop mimicking other people. He and Jesus are contemporaries, but the lifestyle is different. 
The problem with the generation here now and the things we're going through is we all want to be like somebody. Have you noticed all of social media is about creating an identity? That's how an identity is important. Today, may you take off the falsehood. Let it be enough like you are Christ. When your identity is on you, there are some sins that you don't commit. My God, there are some things you don't do. Because like Paul says, ah, know ye not that you are the temple of God. He referring back to your identity. The capacity over sin is not I'm powerful. It's not about willpower. It's about this thing doesn't fit me. <laughs> Paul actually says sometimes, he says, if you're doing all of these things, are you not mere humans? Mere humans. When you become a son, you cease to become a mere human. That's why he told you, bless and don't curse, Kelvin. Bless and don't curse. Because every time you curse, it'll come to happen. And every time you... Imagine a people, Pastor Young, who know that if they bless... When was the last time you went around your street and started to bless every home? Number 13, number 15, number 17, number 21, number 139. And you know as you open your mouth, God gives you prophetic words that define and shape a home. You know why we don't do these things? Because we're a religious lot. We're waiting to come in here for somebody to lay hands. Oh, I'm already a son. I operate as a son. Matthew 11, he says, amongst everyone born of man, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Who are some of your heroes in scripture? Talk to me. Who are some of your heroes in scripture? David, David. yeah? A friend of God, a man after God's own heart. Who else? Abraham, another friend of God, a man of faith. Who else? Moses, he parted the Red Sea in two. Who else? Elijah. I like Elijah. He's got swag. He's got style. He's got audacity. I mean, wet that water. I don't even want fire to come until he can boil that water. I like that kind of authority. Man, I'm a woman of authority. I, when I go into a place, I want to know who is in charge of the heavens. Seriously. And, and, and Elijah. Who else? Elisha. He raised the dead. Who else? Esther. Esther. Deborah. These are heroes. And God says, amongst all of them, none of them is greater than John the Baptist. Ladies and gentlemen, John the Baptist never ever healed even a headache. <laughs> it's not funny. Not, I didn't say it in a derogatory way. There is not one single scripture where you find John performing miracles. Not one. Not one. He did what God told him to do. He preached. He anointed Jesus. Yet the Bible says clearly, John is more powerful. He's more greater than anyone of the people you have called. Anyone of the people who parted the Red Sea, all of them more powerful. So what is it that makes John greater than these people? Are you still with me? There must be something. Because in our eyes, achievement equals greatness. Anointing is God's greatness. Power equals greatness. Mercedes, you met John, he didn't have a business card. Didn't have a TV ministry, didn't have a nice church. In fact, when you met John, all of his disciples once came to him and said, Master, there's a conference going on in Cornerstone. Can we go? The Jesus is there. They said they never came back. You know what his end was like? A teenage girl did a sexy dance for her stepfather. He asked her, what do you want? He said, I want that man's head. It came. That's how we judge people. By the things they achieve. By the things they accumulate. That's how you judge yourself. 
I divorced. I'm this. I failed this. I haven't done everything as I should. So that's how you see yourself. And God says greatness in the kingdom has nothing to do with what you achieve. He said greatness in the kingdom. That's why he used John. Of all everybody else, you could find some great thing that they did. The only thing John had going for him was a, was a sharp tongue. You brood of vipers. <laughs> he and Jesus were cousins and Jude and all of that. They all had sharp tongues. But as I rest my case right now, what is it then that makes John greater than Elijah, greater than Abraham, greater than when Eli Elisha, greater than Moses, greater than Jeremiah, greater than Deborah, greater than... What is it that makes John greater than them? The Bible says it like this. Listen, John straddled two covenants. He was not of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the anointing came upon men. And they prophesied. Moses prophesied about Jesus. He didn't understand what he was talking about. Even Jesus sat with the disciples and says, Your fathers wish they could see this day. They wish they could have this thing with me. They wish I could unpack history. Like they prophesied. Just because a person prophesies something doesn't mean they understand what they're talking about. He said, Your fathers wish they could see this powerful day. But you're blessed. John didn't just prophesy about the son. He touched him. He felt him. He said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, greatness comes out of proximity with Jesus. He looked, he touched, he said, he's great, he said, he's here. This is the one we've all been waiting for, from Genesis right through. This is the one, but I don't just get to talk about him, I get to touch him, I get to interact with him. You know, that's what makes John greater. The others were in our old covenant where they could talk about it. He was in the middle of covenants where he reached, touched, felt, experienced it. But the scripture that we read doesn't end there. It says, but the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than John. That means somebody born again five minutes ago is greater than John. If he's greater than John, he's greater than Elijah. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Esther. He's greater than Nehemiah. He's greater than Elisha. He's greater than who else? David. He's greater than even Abraham who God calls your father. Five minutes born again and he's greater than Moses. Are you kidding me? Five minutes born again and he's greater than Abraham. Why? Because of all of them, they saw, they spoke. John touched. But Jesus, when he came, changed his address. He says, I no longer live in a box. I no longer live in a tent. I make my residence in you when you are born again. And he that is joined to the Lord has become one spirit with him. That's what makes you great. You and Jesus are so one. You and Jesus are so one that Paul talks and he says, I give you this and I don't say it's the Holy Ghost, but you know the Holy Ghost and I are one. I pray that you will walk around knowing that you are greater. You're not waiting for an exploit to make you great. You're already great. As a man thinketh, so is he. Nobody can consistently live and talk and walk in a way that is inconsistent with how he sees himself. Rise to your feet as we just take a couple of minutes to pray today. Maybe you don't know who you are. Maybe I went through a season of my life where I felt I was such a failure. It was hard to come up for air. I asked God, it's, it's over, God, it's over. 
Sometimes you go into prayer and you can't even audaciously ask God for anything. Maybe you messed up somewhere, but the porter never gives up on you. Maybe you have always admired strong people because you didn't know who you are. Every eye closed first, I'm going to do, and every head bowed. If you're hearing, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we do, I'm no longer a slave to sin, is that okay? You don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you say, I want to know this God who makes a brand new man out of somebody. If anybody be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away, all things have become new. He gives us power to become sons. If you're here, you want to know this Jesus, please lift up your hand. Say, preacher, pray with me. I want everything that God has for me. I want to live another life. I want to live a life of power. I want to live a life of grace. I don't want to live like a servant anymore. Is that a hand lifted up? I don't know how we do it in this place. Do I invite people to come forward? Or do I, I don't know how it's done. Okay. Can I see your hand again, sister? God has something great for you. Is there a, please come. Can somebody pray for you? Don't be shy. Can somebody walk down the path with her? You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.